Iran warns of heavy price after report of U.S. Israeli military drill plans. A top Iranian military official warned on Saturday of a heavy price for aggressors, state media said, after a report of U.S. and Israeli plans for possible military drills to prepare for strikes against Iran's nuclear sites if diplomacy fails. Providing conditions for military commanders to test Iranian missiles with real targets will cost the aggressors a heavy price No news, affiliated with Iran's top security body, said on Twitter, citing an unnamed military official. A senior U.S. official told Reuters on Thursday that U.S. and Israeli defense chiefs were expected to discuss possible military exercises that would prepare for a worst-case scenario to destroy Iran's nuclear facilities should diplomacy fail and if their nation's leaders request it. Expect Plan C soon to try to slow the spread of Omicron. Scientists on the SAGE committee that advises the government have commissioned half a dozen academic groups to make predictions during this pandemic. This team from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine is one of the expert groups, and highly respected. But it is only one model. Even they conclude there is a huge spectrum of possible outcomes for the coming fourth wave of COVID. There just isn't enough known yet about Omicron's ability to evade vaccines and cause serious disease. In their most optimistic scenario the number of people being admitted to hospital would be 40% lower than at the peak of the January 2021 wave. But in their most pessimistic scenario they would be twice as high. It's a huge difference, because there's so little hard data. Some of the key numbers are beginning to come in, too late for this model though. Preliminary real-world evidence from the UK Health Security Agency on Friday showed that Omicron dramatically blunts the effectiveness of two doses of the vaccine, particularly AstraZeneca. But the addition of a booster is likely to prevent symptomatic infection. That helps us to start narrowing down which of the scenarios in this model is most likely. The closest fit is one in which the variant has high immune escape because of its mutations, but the booster is also effective. In that scenario there are likely to be around 318,000 hospital admissions and 47,100 deaths by the end of next April. That's still a huge number, but not as bad as it could have been. The numbers could reduce as more data comes in and the model is refined. A key assumption by the researchers is that Omicron causes symptoms that are as severe as Delta. That's far from certain. Doctors in South Africa report that patients are developing a much milder disease. Even those in hospital are far less likely to need oxygen this time round. And there have yet to be any reports of deaths in Europe's highly vaccinated population, despite the rapidly growing number of cases. It may just be a matter of time. Omicron is spreading fastest in younger people who are least likely to develop serious COVID anyway. So until the variant has reached more vulnerable groups we can't be sure just how virulent it is. That could be another few weeks. Unfortunately we don't have the luxury of time. Case numbers are doubling every 2.5 days.
it's so quick that in the eight days between the Prime Minister announcing Plan B and the last of the restrictions taking effect, the outbreak would have increased in size by eight times. Pause for a moment and dwell on what that means. The likely 2,000 cases a day last Wednesday would have swelled to 16,000 a day, in just over a week. With such a rapid rise the government and its scientific advisers are having to act early on very little evidence. The Plan B restrictions are a light touch. They will slow the surge of Omicron, but they are highly unlikely to stop it. There are too many opportunities left for Omicron to spread, pubs and restaurants where no testing or Covid pass is required, and Christmas parties that are still allowed even though workers are encouraged to work from home. So expect a Plan C soon to try to slow the virus further. That would give more time for the booster to be rolled out and hopefully flatten what would otherwise be a very high and very sharp peak in cases and hospital admissions. COVID Scotland, hotel party featuring Take That tribute band linked to coronavirus outbreak. The new Omicron variant is expected to feature in an outbreak of COVID-19 following a hotel party, an NHS board has said. NHS Fife has confirmed a cluster of COVID-19 cases linked to a large evening event, featuring a Take That tribute band, at the Fairmont Hotel in St Andrews. Enhanced contact tracing is ongoing to identify the known close contacts of all positive cases so they can be given appropriate public health advice and instructed to self-isolate. NHS Fife's Deputy Director of Public Health, Dr Esther Kernock, said, We are aware of cases of COVID-19 linked to a particular evening event held at the Fairmont Hotel in St Andrews on December 4. We are working closely with our colleagues in the local environmental health service, and with the management of the Fairmont Hotel to reduce the risk of more widespread transmission of the virus. The evidence at this stage suggests at least some of those who are known to have tested positive are likely to have been carrying the Omicron variant of the virus, which we know is highly transmissible. It is vital, therefore that all of those who attended the event remain vigilant of the signs and symptoms of the virus, and isolate immediately should any of these develop. The advice to local people, however, remains the same as it has for much of the response to the pandemic. Simple steps, such as wearing face coverings, ensuring indoor spaces are well ventilated and thoroughly cleaning our hands surfaces regularly all contribute towards reducing our risk of catching and spreading the virus. On Friday, the Scottish Sun reported that around 40 staff at Hermyers Hospital, in NHS South Lanarkshire, were self-isolating due to an Omicron outbreak linked to their work Christmas party. The Fairmont Hotel said that it is unable to comment at present as the manager is off until Monday. Yesterday First Minister Nicola Sturgeon announced that all household contacts of positive case would have to self-isolate for 10 days from today, Saturday the 11th of December regardless of vaccination status, and even if they receive a negative initial PCR test. Government plans to bury power lines underground in wake of storm air when 
power lines could be buried underground to preserve them from the effects of bad weather under plans being considered by the government in the wake of Storm Erwin. A review launched this week will examine ways to make the energy system more resilient after thousands of people in Scotland and the north of England were left without power for more than a week in the aftermath of the storm. Ongoing national grid projects are burying cables in national parks and other areas valued for their natural beauty to remove the visual impact of pylons. Campaigners called for more cables to be buried to protect them from the effects of storms. Putting local lower-voltage cables underground can cost more than £150,000 per kilometre, with high-voltage pylon lines costing even more. The government said the measure would be considered as part of the review, set to report its findings in March next year. Public prepared to pay more on energy bills to remove pylons. Tom Fyans, the director of campaigns and policy at countryside charity CPRE, said, Electricity pylons are one of the original blots on the landscape and surveys repeatedly show the public are prepared to pay a little more on their energy bills to remove them from our most treasured landscapes, such as national parks. Measures such as undergrounding power cables instead are a win-win in terms of improving the view and reducing the risk of disruption to supply due to storms and extreme weather conditions, which, with the climate emergency, are likely to increase in both severity and frequency. A spokesman for BIS said, Our review into how energy operators responded to storm airwind will consider a wide range of options, including putting more electricity cables underground. This is so that we can ensure our system, which has had £60 billion of investment by gas and electricity networks in the last eight years, is as resilient as possible. Extensive plans are underway to address the risks associated with climate change and we are working very closely with the energy industry to ensure they are prepared for future severe weather conditions. Managing trees more cost-effective than undergrounding Dave Openshaw, a director at energy consultancy Millhouse Power, said that other measures including insulated lines and managing trees were more cost-effective, as storm disruption is usually caused by trees falling on lines. The first preferable option would be to divert the line clear of the trees if you can't clear the trees themselves. If you are going to underground you've got to think about undergrounding a significant part of the circuit. But then you're probably looking at a completely different route, because you don't want to be damaging tree roots when you underground the line. So you might be diverting the line through an underground route, along the highway, and picking up the line at a different point. Some of that can be done. It is extremely expensive, and it would be pretty much a last resort. There's probably better ways of spending the money to benefit the majority of customers. Randolph Brazier, the Director of Innovation and Electricity Systems at Industry Group Energy Networks Association, said, There's a balance that needs to be maintained when it comes to putting electricity cables underground, which depends on how we keep costs down for bill pairs and the impact on the land itself. 
It's important that electricity networks continue to work with local communities to help find the solution that's right for them. National Trust Backlash After It Closes Thriving Independent Café For Its Own National Trust bosses have been accused of undermining local business by forcing a much-loved café to shut while at the same time planning to open one of its own. The Brownlow Café at the Ashridge Estate in Hertfordshire will be closing in the new year after the Trust decided not to renew the lease. The café has been run by Jensine Molbeck Blythe and her husband Ian Wood for nearly 13 years, with locals describing it as one of their favourite spots in the area. But the NT has said it is time to make changes to the refreshment services it offers at the country park where it is now planning to open what it describes as an exciting new café proposition in the spring. That has prompted widespread anger among visitors to the Ashridge Estate, near Birkenstead. Mrs. Molbeck Blythe, 49, and her husband accused the NT of refusing to discuss their decision and not giving them any opportunity to appeal against it. She said, We're a small business employing local people and using local suppliers and we have gone through lots of ups and downs recently with Covid, thinking we wouldn't be able to reopen after lockdown. But now a large organisation is putting an end to us. I believe in organisations like the National Trust. We need them to look after our manor houses and countryside. But this is awful. Mr Wood 52, added, the National Trust is undermining a small business we've worked hard to build up over 13 years. Frankly I'm furious about it and so are lots of our customers. Customers have vented their frustration at the NT's decision, with more than 7,500 already signing a petition against the closure of Brownlow Café Louise Denholm, regular visitor to the café, wrote on its Facebook page. I can't believe you are closing on the 2nd of January, 1922 as you make the most amazing food and cakes and it is a crying shame that you are being shut down by NT after all these years. Another visitor told her local newspaper, Hemel Today, in my view the National Trust has made a grave error in closing the cafe and by doing so is going to drive down the numbers of people coming to Ashridge Estate. It is also disappointing that the National Trust isn't doing more to support a clearly successful local business. We love going to the cafe because it has great food and lovely staff. It is also nice to support a local business, and clearly lots of people agree as it is always busy. Mr Wood and Mrs Molbeck Blythe were informed by the NT in July that their lease would not be renewed with the trust activating the break clause in their contract with effect from 31 January. The National Trust defended the decision not to renew the café's lease, saying it was time to revisit arrangements and make changes to our visitor offer. A spokesperson for the trust said, while we are unable to comment on individual agreements, we would like to thank the Brownlow team for the contribution they have made to visitors over the years. We also want to reassure visitors that we will still offer refreshments, initially in the form of a temporary outlet, which will be open seven days a week. We will soon be sharing an update about our exciting new cafe proposition, proposed to open in the spring.
visitors should not see a disruption to the service and we hope they will welcome the extended opening to suit their needs. Man dies in incident involving firearms officers in Kensington. A man has died after sustaining gunshot wounds in an incident involving armed officers close to Kensington Palace. The Metropolitan Police said officers were called to reports of a man with a firearm seen to enter a bank and bookmakers near Marlowe's Road, West London at 3.04pm on Saturday. The force said the man was then seen to get into a vehicle and leave the area. At 3.19pm, armed officers stopped a vehicle at the junction of Kensington Road and Palace Gate next to Kensington Gardens. The Met said, shots were fired and a man sustained gunshot wounds. The London Ambulance Service and London Air Ambulance were called and the man was treated at the scene. Police said despite the best efforts of the emergency services, he was pronounced dead at 4.08pm. Efforts are underway to confirm the man's identity and to inform his next of kin. The Met's Directorate of Professional Standards has been informed and the incident has been referred to the Independent Office for Police Conduct, IOPC. A number of road closures are in place in the area and are likely to remain for some time, with police advising the public to avoid the area. The incident is not being treated as terrorism. A number of police cordons have been put in place along Kensington High Street, and police officers are keeping guard at the largest cordon between a Starbucks and a building named Broadwalk House. Around 10 police vehicles are in place around the cordon. A tent has been erected in the middle of a cordon in Kensington High Street. It has been placed next to a black car and is surrounded by one unmarked police car and three patrol vehicles. Members of the public are being diverted away from the cordon through Kensington Gardens. A London Ambulance Service spokesperson said crews were called at 3.23pm to reports of a shooting. We sent an ambulance, an incident response officer, a tactical response unit, a motorcycle response unit and an advanced paramedic. The London Air Ambulance car also responded they said. We treated a man on scene, who unfortunately died. The IOPC confirmed it has begun an investigation following the incident. After being notified of the incident by the MPS, we sent investigators to the scene and the post-incident procedure to start gathering evidence a spokesperson said. Furious millionaire Minister Nadim Zawi's family firm sues skinned tenant traders. Millionaire Minister Nadim Zawi is facing fury as his family property firm hounds people left penniless by the pandemic. The Education Secretary's family investment firm has ordered court action against small business owners for unpaid rent even though the Tories say they should get time to pay. A dry cleaner, barber and kebab seller are among traders who could be slapped with county court judgments preventing them starting a new business or getting a mortgage. Barber Jafar Jaromi, 56, was sent a court summons demanding £35,000. He says, you'd think the family of a minister would be the first to understand this. There is no compassion. They don't care about Covid. 
they care about their money even if it means dragging us to court. Ex-Vaccines Minister Mr. Zaoi, 54, co-founded Zaoi and Zaoi but quit when he became a minister in 2018. His 50% stake was transferred to his wife, who uses her maiden name Lana Jamil Saib on company documents. Their two sons are listed as directors. Zaoi and Zaoi paid £12 million for the Guildhall buildings in Birmingham in 2019, where at least four tenants have had summonses. Among them is Deborah Brown, 53, whose dry cleaning business was decimated by the pandemic. She was unable to pay her £5,400 per quarter rent after annual takings fell to £10,000. She is being chased for £36,000 and says, I haven't taken any wages for myself. I haven't been able to sell the business. It's been horrific. Instead of understanding the suffering and strain, I've been letters demanding cash. Urban Feast Kebab shop owner Zahir Ahmed, 47, and wife Jaran, 43, got a summons for £46,751. The three worrying signs the UK could be in lockdown by Christmas. December, 2020 saw some parts of the UK plunged into a third national lockdown, with Christmas cancelled and the festive spirit ruined for all. At that point, daily cases and deaths were rocketing and as the month wore on more restrictions were imposed by the government. So, as a similar pattern seems to be emerging in 2021, express.co.uk takes a look at the key signs which could lead to a new lockdown by Christmas. Last Wednesday, the Prime Minister announced he would put into force his Covid winter plan B as a result of rising Covid cases and the spread of the Omicron variant. The Downing Street press conference was the second to be held in under two weeks which revealed new restrictions on our daily lives. However, to this point, Mr Johnson has batted away suggestions of a new national lockdown despite more than 50,000 new daily cases being reported six times in the last week. Now, as people begin to prepare for the Christmas holidays we take a closer look at what could force No. 10 to reconsider imposing a fourth lockdown and the similarities that are forming between December 2020 and 2021. COVID case numbers According to official government figures on 10 December, 2020, there were 22,593 daily cases confirmed. In comparison, some 58,194 cases were detected yesterday, the 10th of December, 2021, the highest daily increase since January the 9th this year. Testing capacity within the UK has increased during this time frame which could partly explain the difference in numbers. However, the key fact to look at here is how quickly daily case numbers grew. Between the 30th of November and the 10th of December in 2020, daily case numbers increased from 18,000 to 22,593, a near 5,000 increase. 
When the same dates are compared in 2021 the difference is 3,726 daily cases, which represents a similar growth, albeit from a higher starting point. Daily deaths and hospitalizations from COVID While case numbers were higher today than for the same period in 2020 the same can't be said for the number of people who died from COVID. Pupils hardly stuffing themselves with Christmas lunch that looks like prison food. The pupils at Staining Grammar School had grown accustomed to a Christmas feast with all the trimmings at this time of year. But now the trimmings have been trimmed. This year, pupils at the in West Sussex School were served a dry-looking plain bread roll, an anemic slice of turkey and a solitary pig in a blanket for their festive lunch what they wouldn't have given for a pizza, deep pan, crisp and even. The meal also included a square of unappetizing stuffing and a chocolate mini roll, though pupils could opt for a mince pie instead. It did not take long for them to start complaining. Soon they were sending photographs of their sorry festive meal to their parents, prompting an outcry with mothers and fathers posting photographs on social media of what their children were served. The Christmas lunch made available to students this week contrasted with that offered to them in 2019 when, for £3.50, they were served roast turkey with sage and onion stuffing, pigs in blankets, cranberry sauce and a rich meat gravy or a vegetarian option of vegan schnitzel with tomato and basil sauce, along with roast potatoes, carrots and peas. That was followed by a Christmas chocolate log, a mince pie or fresh fruit. The prospect of a similar feast enticed many pupils to sign up for this year's lunch, also costing £3.50. But after menu details emerged, there was uproar. I am really upset by this one parent posted on Facebook. Is this really the food I'm paying for? How can the kids be expected to concentrate and learn if this is the sort of food they receive? Kate Burton, another parent, added, Disgraceful, £3.50 for a roll, one bit of turkey, small bit of sausage and a bit of stuffing and there was nothing else available for those who didn't choose Christmas lunch. Kieran Walsh, the parent of a 15-year-old girl at the school, said, she doesn't normally have school dinners as she takes in packed lunches, but she wanted to join in with this as it was for Christmas and it seemed like a nice idea. However, when she received hers yesterday and was so appalled by it she sent me a photograph of it. It was grim. She didn't eat it and a lot of them ended up in the bin. It hardly filled the children with festive cheer. Mr. Walsh, 46, a sound designer, added, it was really dismal. I don't know how they can serve that to children and think it's all right. It looks like prison food but, to be honest, I hope prisoners get better than that. There was a vegetarian option but you had to get there early for those and they soon ran out. Staining Grammar School, where lunches usually cost between £2.50 and £3 a day, was set up in 1614 by William Holland, an alderman of Chichester. 
It became a state comprehensive school in 1968, before being recently turned into an academy school by Bahunt Education Trust, retaining its historic grammar school name. Mr. Walsh said, it's a perfectly decent school, but when it was taken over by the trust there was a lot of talk about the resources they promised to put into it. I know it's been a difficult time for schools recently, because of the pandemic, but this is really poor. In a message to parents who complained about the meal, the school said, we are sorry that you feel that the Christmas meal was of poor quality. The overall feedback from the students was that they really enjoyed it and this was evidenced by the empty plates and happy faces. The school said it had consulted its students over what this year's Christmas lunch should be like, adding, they did not want a traditional meal, so we came up with the alternative version. It also turned down requests for a refund of the cost of the Christmas meal, telling parents, as we have bought the items and students have eaten them, then there will not be any refunds. However, Staining Grammar on Wednesday apologized over the standard of the lunch, blaming COVID infections for a series of staff shortages and offering parents a full refund. In a statement, a spokesman for Staining Grammar School said, The Christmas lunch served to some students yesterday was clearly not in line with the high standards we set for our school caterers, and we apologize unreservedly for this. Due to a combination of unforeseen supply chain issues and COVID-related staffing shortages, our planned lunch was affected at very short notice. We have now investigated this isolated matter fully and have apologized to all students and parents affected, together with providing a full refund. State Pension Age Review announced by DWP must consider life expectancy, not just please the Treasury. The government should be wary about pleasing the Treasury by raising the state pension age ahead of schedule as increases in life expectancy have slowed, according to experts. The Department for Work and Pensions, DWP, has announced its second review of the state pension age, to be published in May 2023, will assess whether the retirement age remains appropriate. Men and women have to wait until they reach 66 before receiving their state pension but the age is set to increase to 67 between 2026 and 2028, and then to 68 by 2046. More than £100 billion is spent on state pensions every year. Raising the age at which people can retire as the population lives longer is a way of keeping spending sustainable. The review could revisit the previous proposal to increase the state pension age to 68 between 2037 and 2039. But pensions analyst Helen Morrissey said an analysis of the latest life expectancy data as part of this review could stop this in its tracks. Ms Morrissey, who works at financial firm Hargreaves Lansdowne, added, The population is still ageing albeit at a slower rate than it was, and this coupled with the huge COVID-19 bill the government continues to wrestle with means the government will likely continue with its planned program of state pension age increases. With a COVID-19 bill to pay, the triple lock has come under intense pressure, 
and earnings data has been abandoned for this year in favor of an inflationary increase. It raises the possibility that this review could prompt a closer look at the triple lock. Any further amendments to the triple lock policy, which ensures the state pension rises every year, would be another breach of the Conservatives' election manifesto and would be met with anger among older people. The DWP's decision to ask Baroness Lucy Neville Rolfe, a former Treasury Minister and Conservative peer, to write one of the reports in the review has raised concern about its overall aim. Former Pensions Minister Sir Steve Webb said, The previous review of state pension ages is seriously out of date with a lot more information now available about what has been happening to life expectancies. But the next review needs to be about more than just crunching the numbers and picking a schedule to please the Treasury. A written statement by Work and Pensions Secretary Dr. Thais Coffey said the government needed to ensure that managing the cost of the state pension provides fairness to both taxpayers and pensioners and that it continues to provide the foundation for retirement planning and financial security. The review will also look at regional differences in life expectancy. Sir Steve said it was important to tackle the underlying differences in life expectancy before you just hike up state pension ages further.